Welcome to episode six of the Ego Chow podcast. Uh, I'm Preston Byers, and I'm with Justin Binkowski as always. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the first week of stage two of the Call of Duty League and some roster mania news. Uh, we have actually two roster changes this week. Um, both will be uh, both Venom and Standy will be making their CDL debuts this week for their respective teams. We assume. Um, and we're going to be talking about Apocalypse Hardpoint and Express SMD, which debuted over the weekend. How you doing, Bink? I'm doing well. How about you? Mm, pretty good. Just still sweating, though. Jesus. Like, <laughs> I'm drinking, I've drank a gallon of water, and now I'm drinking Bud Light Seltzer. Let's go. And I'm still not cooling down at all. Uh, what's up, Josh and Trim? Um... So let's just jump into uh, the first week matches. Uh, we had 10 matches, as uh, as is the schedule for these things. Um, we actually had 10 matches. Uh, and uh, the first day was um, was pretty good. Uh, we had FaZe versus Subliners and uh, the Mutineers versus Surge. So we had two really good teams versus, um, I mean, I don't know what you want to consider Mutineers, but... The Surge were not considered to be a very good team coming in. Um, FaZe and uh, the Surge both won 3-1. Uh, what, what do you take on, um, what's your take on the Surge upsetting Florida? Uh, yeah, so that was pretty surprising. We both picked Florida coming into this because uh, at the Stage 1 Major and throughout Stage 1, actually, Seattle did not look very good. Uh, Florida also struggled like Seattle in Stage 1 group play, but they went on a little bit of a run in the lower bracket of the Stage 1 major. So uh, coming in, most of us, I, I don't want to speak for everyone, I guess we thought that uh, Florida was going to beat them and they looked like the better team coming in, but turns out maybe the meta change had something uh, to do with it, helped them out a little bit, I'm not really sure, but Pristini played pretty well throughout the series, uh, throughout the series. And uh, they won 3-1. Florida only won the control. And uh, just looking at some of the stats for the overall series, all the players on Florida went negative. Uh, Slack actually had the highest KD with a .98, whereas uh, Octane dropped a 1.21, Pristini dropped a 1.17, and Gunless had a 1.07. So uh, kind of surprising, but uh, I, just, I felt happy for the surge to get one on the board, prove some of the doubters wrong. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting it. I I think it's fair to say that it's a really big upset. Like, no one's really expecting it because the surge looks so bad in Stage 1. And Florida, at least uh, near the end, started to pick it up, uh, at least at the Major. They won a few matches. But to come out so flat was uh, really interesting. Um, and, and then we had uh, the first match of the, the week was um, a kind of a... A really big one uh, considering how well these two teams performed at the um, stage one major uh, phase obviously went undefeated throughout stage one and the subliners pulled off an upset over optic at the major and finished third uh, phase won three one um, and we actually got to see the first two new maps apocalypse hardpoint and express SD uh, what do you think of the series bank yeah, it was a pretty entertaining series overall. Um, I believe this was the second search that FaZe has lost yeah. this year or something along those lines. And uh, it was a 6-5 on Express. Uh, FaZe went up big early, and it kind of seemed like they were experimenting a little bit with uh, maybe some strats and uh, setups, depending on deciding how they want to play it out, test things out. Um, 
but New York ended up taking that, and then Atlanta just went off three uh, respawns. So even it turns out, you know, Atlanta's just so good at this point where even if you're able to steal a search off them, they can still beat you, and three respawns not even give you a shot to get to a game five. So uh, it was definitely a statement win, I would say, for Atlanta in the sense of, you know, because New York had that third-place finish in the major, some people might have expected it to be a little bit closer, maybe New York pull off the upset, but, you know, Faye still got the job done, still the best team in the world. Yep. Um, I. So I know that the Ultra were the only team at the uh, at the time to beat Faye's in search. I'm just looking up real quick what map that was. I think it might have been Garrison, or no. That's... I think it was Raid, but I would have to look it up. Yeah, Raid Search. Um, so they were 2-1 and one in Raid uh, Raid Search, but they were undefeated until um, Express S&D lost to uh, New York. Uh, what, did you, what did you think of Express and Apocalypse? Uh, I, I really like both maps. I think, you know, from what I've seen so far, I still haven't played Apocalypse, but... Uh, from what I saw in the matches that were played, it looked like it was, you know, like a vibrant map. It was visually appealing, as we've kind of touched on before. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know there's been some, like, discussion, or there were clips posted on Twitter of, like, a glitch spot on, get, wow, a glitch spot <laughs> on the second hard point where you could, like, see through uh, this part in one of the temples and, you know, whatever. But, uh, you know, if the players just don't go there, it shouldn't be a problem, especially when you got all the GAs, they should be able to manage that until it's fixed. But aside from that, it looked like a pretty good map. Um, It seemed like some of the hard points might have been a little bit tough to break. So, you know, it could be a more traditional hard point map in the sense of you have to rotate early. And if you lock down control, you're able to get more of that full 60 instead of having, you know, aside from your traditional P1, which is always scrappy, uh, it looked like teams were able to control the hard point for a good portion of the time on multiple occasions. So uh, that might have something to do with the teams not playing it that much, but uh, it'll definitely be something interesting to look for throughout the rest of the stage. Um, We might see teams continue to experiment with it and try to uh, add it to their map pool before moving into the stage two major. And then obviously Express S&D, I'm always gonna like Black Ops 2 maps, so. Uh, really happy to have that one back. I think, you know, not much has changed. It feels, you know, plays the same way, in my opinion, at least. And, uh, yeah, it was exciting to see some of the teams. You know, a lot of teams were just four-hitting stuff together, whereas defense, it looked like, you know, at least phase. Um, I remember they had, like, Cellium was going uh, low B, and then RCs was kind of patrolling mid, and Simpanabizi were uh, setting up at double a on defense but you know then they were experimenting with other stuff so uh it's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on throughout the rest of the stage how teams play the map and uh, i know rcd's had a tweet too where he was talking about like we didn't go over call outs because he's i don't remember the exact word he was like we didn't go over call outs and somebody called something out he was like i don't even know what that is so uh definitely funny um and yeah i'm just excited to get to watch more Black Ops 2 maps. Yeah, it should be interesting to see how these teams uh, develop their strategies, uh, specifically in Search, obviously, um, throughout the rest of the stage and into Stage 3. On Friday, we had uh, two matches as well, the Los Angeles Thieves 
um, beat the Toronto Ultra, who had Insight uh, debuting on their roster for Methods. Uh, and then we also had the Paris Legion sweeping the Minnesota Rocker uh, to close out that day. Uh, let's talk first about the Thieves uh, beating the Ultra. This is a really interesting series because obviously we had uh, Insight debuting for um, Methods, who was benched uh, the week prior. Um, and he had a really, a, like at least in search, he had a really good debut. He dropped 18 yeah. kills in map five, um, even though they lost. Uh, what do you think of Insight's debut and uh, Thieves squeaking out a win here? Yeah, I mean, that, that was a really hard-fought series. Um, you know, Toronto had, so Los Angeles took the opening hard point. Toronto answered back in that first search. Uh, Los Angeles takes the control, then Toronto dominates checkpoint hard point or checkmate hard point two fifty to one fifteen, and forces that game five where they had already won the search previous in the series. But uh, LA takes Miami search in round eleven. I think LA had I don't remember what the exact round count was, but they had an early lead and it started to like you know Toronto started to build more some momentum and you know Insight had just been popping off that whole series leading up to his eighteen kills. Uh, so yeah, it was a really exciting match, and uh, uh, I guess you know, I don't know. There's multiple ways you can look at it. Uh, Insight performed well, obviously, but they Toronto still wasn't able to get the win, even mm -hmm. with replacing Insight with Method. So like, do you say Methods was the problem? It's only one series, so I don't know how much you're really gonna look into that, but. Uh, it was definitely, you know, him and Kleenex definitely performed exceptionally well, and Vance and Cami kind of struggled in the series. So, uh, at least from a KD perspective, that's the major takeaway from that series. And uh, even though uh, this was also the first series where we saw Kenny playing, uh, switching to that submachine gun role where they previously had him on a more of a flex, and uh, he ended up dropping a point. 8-4 KD for the series overall, so uh, might not have been the most effective switch that they were uh, expecting, and that might have led to the eventual change with Venom, which we'll touch on later. But uh, yeah, that definitely, you know, Insight definitely opened some eyes in his debut series. Yeah, the the overwhelming uh, majority seemed to be calling out Bance for his play in the series, saying like Methods shouldn't have been dropped and Bance should have. And a lot of people came to Bance's defense, and a lot of people still shit on him. It was it was interesting to see. Like I, I think whenever people try to say, well, this player should have been dropped instead of this player, I mean that we don't really know the team dynamic, and yeah, like maybe Bance brings a different uh, a different element to Toronto that we aren't aware of. Um, I mean that's got to be the case. Uh, that's the, probably the case for many players, to be honest. And, you know, it's, it's hard to say that after one series, you yeah. know, it was just a roster change. And, uh, you know, insights that mean they are a player just like Methods. And right now in the current meta, they, you're, you know, you have more of the one main AR, a flex player than two subs. So mm -hmm. uh, the roster, kind of, I mean, I guess if you did have Methods, so like Methods, Insight, Cami, and Kleenex, you kind of have to have Cami run a full-time sub, and he's been more of that flex player, you know, since we saw him really last year. Uh, so not sure how that would work out on paper, but obviously, you know, we can't really speculate on that. It seems like Insight's in, you know, or this current roster is what they're working with for now. Yep. 
Uh, and then uh, the second match of Friday, uh, Paris taking out uh, Minnesota. I picked Minnesota in our predictions. You picked Paris and Paris. Um, it was a pretty close series, the first two maps, 250 to 216 on Raid Hardpoint and 6-5 on Miami. And then Raid Control 3-0 Paris. Um, this is notably one of the few uh, losses in search for Minnesota. They've um, been one of the best search teams in the entire league up until this point. And um, I don't know, it's interesting. I, I'm I'm learning not to pick against Paris. And <laughs> <laughs> unless they're against maybe FaZe, um, Optic, and Dallas, I think those are really only the three teams that I won't pick them now. Uh, because they've just kind of burned me too many times, and I want to make sure that I win the pick'em at the end of this year. Uh, <laughs> what'd you think of uh, Paris showing up and sweeping the Rocker? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a fast series, and you know, uh, most notably looking at the final stats for this series, it you know obviously it was a three L, but like there's extremely low kill count overall. Uh, Aqua had the most kills in the entire series with only 45, whereas we had, you know, in five-game series, guys were dropping 100-plus kills. So, uh, comparatively, it was a super low kill count series, although it was only three maps. But uh, still noteworthy that, you know, kind of just looked like Paris had complete control. Um, so, you know, it was 6-5 in the Miami search, but and it was 250-216 read hard point, but... Uh, 3-0 in the control, so you can take what you want away from those score lines. But it seemed like uh, Paris, you know, had control of that series from the get-go. And uh, most notably, looking at this stat lines again, uh, accuracy went 39 and 39 in the series overall. So it had a 1 KD, and that was the highest on the team. Uh, Major Maniac and Attach both dropped 0.86s, and Priesta struggled with a 0.68. So uh, you can take what you want from KDs too, but uh, those are just the numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, on Saturday, we had Optic Chicago versus the Paris Legion. Um, Optic beat Paris for their first win of Stage 2. Um, Paris won the search. Uh, and then um, I'll I just run through the results real quick. Florida uh, swept the Rockers, so the Rocker went 0-6 uh, in map count in uh, Week 1. Um, and obviously, they made a roster change afterward. And then in the final match of Saturday, we had Dallas... Uh, beating Seattle in a five-game series. Um, this was, I think, uh, in stage one, uh, Dallas crushed Seattle. They were like mm -hmm. three um, three stomps and three maps. Uh, but this one came down to around 11. Um, so let's start at the top. Let's start at Optic uh, with stage two's, uh, their first match of stage two, beating Paris. What do you think? Yeah, it was the only match we got to see from Optic too. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, statistically speaking, it looks like everybody... Had a good series on the team. Scum dropped a .91, but everybody else, uh, formal envoy and Dashi was over a 1.10. So, you know, team had a balanced attack and was playing well. And even Scum's KD was 64 and 70 overall, so he played well. Um, and Paris obviously struggled compared to when they showed up against Minnesota. Um, one thing we kind of didn't really touch on talking about Paris's last match was uh, Scraps being moved to the uh, flex role. Uh, I kind of speculated that it could have been classic just because we've seen him run multiple guns in the past, but uh, it was classic and fire on those subs, and then Scraps was using the QBZ. So uh, he played all right. Um, trying to let me look real quick at what his KD was in the first match. Um, 
So Scraps went 38 and 36 in the uh, series against Minnesota. So he had a 1.06 overall. And then uh, he went 67 and 69 against Optics with a 0.97. So he was, you know, right there around a 1.0 for both series using the QBZ. So that'll be something interesting to look for Paris, uh, how he performs with that gun if it doesn't get G8'd. And we continue to see it in the current meta. Um, that'll be something to keep an eye on. But yeah, other than, you know, Paris taking that search, it was a typical optic formula of winning the respawns and win the series. Yep. Uh, Florida, they bounced back in their match. They swept uh, Minnesota. Um, I mean, this is, it's interesting because we, we thought uh, Florida would probably be 2-0 and at the end of this week, and they're 1-1. One and one. And then, obviously, Minnesota, I picked them uh, to win the first match, but them to lose both matches, um, it leads to Standy coming in uh, for Major Maniac. Um, what, do you think, what do you think of this series, and what do you think of Standy coming in and replacing Maniac? Yeah, so I think, again, um, obviously they had an 0-6 map count overall for the last week, but... You know, looking at the scores, similar to, it's actually very similar to the first Paris matchup in the sense, you know, the first hard point against Paris was 250-216. First hard point against Florida is 250-214, so pretty close map. Uh, both searches against Paris and Florida for Minnesota went 6-5, round 11. And then Florida won the control 3-1 where Paris run the uh, control 3-0. So, uh, you know, from a stat line perspective, or scoreline perspective, at least from each map, it, it was relatively close outside of those controls. And uh, regardless of that, we still end up seeing Standy come in. Uh, most notably, uh, Attach this time was the only one in the series against Florida with a positive KD at, one, at a 1.02. And uh, Accuracy was 0.91. Major Maniac was a 0.89. And Priesta was a 0.73 KD in the series, while Skies... I uh, had a 1.40, most notably for Florida. But, um, yeah, so now we're going to see Standy come in, make his debut for Minnesota. A um, little background on him. He was on uh, that Triumph team with Fellow in the amateur scene for North America and World War or, wow, World War II. <laughs> uh, he was in the amateur scene for Modern Warfare last year, uh, and they won the amateur champs at the end of the year. And uh, he most recently was playing with Sib, who was on uh, – Phases bench, yeah. yeah, and then uh, Decimate, who was on the Gorillas last year, and uh, Dave Patty, I believe, is how you say his name. Uh, another up and coming amateur player, and I think he was on that Triumph team with Sandy last year too. But uh, yeah, he he's gonna come in and be a sub, uh, according to Minnesota's announcement. Uh, Priest is gonna be moving to more of that flex second uh, AR role, so Sandy and Attach will be the sub duo, and then Accuracy will be the main AR. Uh, and I was listening to uh, Zuma's podcast last night. The flank. It was he had like methods, Looney, uh, attached. Standy came on for a little bit. It was kind of crazy. It was, it was super entertaining. Uh, and you know they were just talking to him, and the kid seemed to have a good head on his shoulders. They were you know talking to him about making his debut and stuff like that. And I don't remember everything they were saying. It was like two and a half hours long. I was just listening to it while I was watching basketball, and. Uh, he seems excited, obviously. Young kid going to make his professional debut, so pretty obvious. And uh, definitely going to be something to keep an eye on. Uh, we'll touch on it later, but uh, he has two tough matchups in his debut week. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how he performs. But, yeah, pretty exciting. Uh, some people might not agree with him replacing Major Maniac. 
I don't really know how I feel about them in general. I'm not really sure. I feel like Minnesota, you know, obviously they were a good search team compared to all their other modes, obviously. But uh, I think I feel like it was hard to just pinpoint one player for them who was underperforming. So like they're just you know going with what they think is best, and it'll be interesting to see how it works out. But uh, this, if, you know, Standy isn't an immediate fix, we might see uh, Minnesota try something else down the road too. So definitely all eyes are going to be on him yeah. going forward. Uh, to back up what you were saying, uh, he played with Triumph until uh, earlier this month. They finished second in the eighth cup, um, the Challengers Cup. And then uh, he most recently won the ninth cup with Depatis, Sibilance, and Decimate. Um, and I don't know, maybe the, the rocker, they decided to make this roster change because last year they waited so long to make any kind of change. And like we saw last year, they started off really hot. They're probably one of the top four teams in the entire league. And then when it went online, they struggled and they didn't really seem to make any kind of change. I know Alex, I think, uh, he hurt his thumb or something last year. An injury or wrist injury. Yeah, so that was really like the change though, um, for them, which is and then Goddard at the end of the year yeah. when they brought in Exceed. So really, they hadn't uh, made a lot of changes, or if they did, they waited too long until maybe it was too late to get any kind of real chemistry or practice, and they didn't want to repeat that mistake. That's just a theory. I'm not sure if that's um, if that played into their decision, but I think it's interesting. Um, that they actually went through with it in the middle of a stage, um, just like LA, um, because I mean, at least London they uh, put in Paul X in the uh, in between so they could practice before they got to stage two. Uh, it seems like uh, you know, based on the Rocker put out a brief video explaining everything, and uh, it certainly seems like Brian Saint, the coach of the Rocker, has had his eye on Standy for a while. Uh, you know, I believe during that scouting series it was either early December or early January. I don't remember earlier, a couple months ago. Uh, he he was lo- looking at Standy and drafting him in that scouting series. So you know, this is obviously he's been on their radar for a while, at least this year, most definitely. So uh, that's cool that you know uh, the scouting series in that sense is paying off where, you know, this amateur player was in there and Nori kept an eye on him and eventually leads to him, uh, getting picked up. So, uh, that's cool to see too. But yeah, I mean, like we kind of touched on, uh, after an 06 map count week, it seemed like a change was just necessary. And, uh, you can talk about whether you think they could have, should have done something earlier, you know, whatever you want to say there. But, uh, the fact of the matter is that, they're making the change now, so they're being proactive in that sense, and we'll see how it plays out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that um, it's better to do it and it be a mistake than wait and then kind of let your team not be able to catch up at the end of the season when there's not enough time to get that chemistry. Um, and then uh, last match of the day, we had Dallas and uh, Seattle. Uh, Dallas um, pulled out a, a win uh, in round 11 of Map 5. Uh, what do you think of the surge having a really strong week, although they they still lost here against in the Empire? Yeah, this was, if I'm remembering correctly, this was the infamous uh, PowerPoint series, as Mike was calling it in the Twitter group, where the uh, CDL broadcast was really struggling. 
but I wasn't paying super close attention because this is when the Yukon game started for March Madness. So uh, I, I was trying to watch it back earlier, and, uh, you know, obviously it went down to the wire, game five, round 11. Uh, Seattle was just a couple milliseconds away from being able to defuse. I think Gunless picks up the last kill with, like, 7.2 left on the clock and gets the bomb with, like, 6.8 or something like that. So uh, it really came down to the wire. Uh most notably, I think Crimson, Crim Six, and Octane both, you know, dropped massive numbers in that last search. And you know, looking at the score line overall, uh, on Dallas, Crim Six led the way with a 1.04, which you know you got those three uh, guys wreaking havoc below him, and then he's on top. That might not be what you're expecting from Dallas, but it works out in this case. Whereas Octane kind of had. Uh, one of his patented star performances that we're more accustomed to him seeing in previous titles where he drops a 1.27 uh, against one of the best teams in the game. So uh, even though Surge weren't able to take the win, uh, it's definitely a good sign for Surge fans or Seattle fans to uh, see their team go the distance with one of the top three teams in the game That most, in most people's opinion. Uh, and... Yeah, they did it by winning the control and the second hard point. So Dallas was up 2-0, and they fought back to force the map five. So, you know, we were touching on it earlier in their previous matchup in stage one group play. It was just a 3-0 stomp by Dallas, but different result this time. Seattle fought back a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I, I you know, I kind of we, – we've touched on before if Seattle needs to make a change, all that. Yeah, right now if they, if they keep playing like this, they – might be sticking together longer than some people expected previously or prior to stage two. Yeah, I think this is, uh, I know people don't like to talk about moral victories or whatever, but this is a moral victory to to win uh, against Florida. Not a lot of people expected that. Um, and then to, they, they probably should have beaten Dallas. You lose two round 11s in a single series. Um, the odds of that happening are very, it's very unlikely. Um, but I think Seattle has a a lot of positives at, uh, from this week, and hopefully they can carry it into next week and and beyond. Because it's it'd be interesting to see them be able to compete. I think um, there are too many talented and too many experienced players on this roster to um, uh, to to really like go to waste. I mean, Gunless at one point was looking like one of the best, uh, like one of the most talented players. And Octane, we we know, is one of the most talented players of all time. So hopefully they are able to get it together and uh, keep it together for the rest of Stage 2. Um, and uh, on Sunday we had uh, LAG versus London, uh, Paul Axe's debut, um, and London's first win of the Call of Duty League <laughs> season. Uh, Paul Axe went 20-20 and 20 in hardpoint, 8-4 and four in search, and 20-25 and 25 in control. And LAG just did not look good at all. Um, I mean, I don't think anyone was expecting them to be great because they did go two and three in stage one and uh, went one and two at the major uh, despite beating LA Thieves. What do you think of LAG coming out flat and London grabbing their first win of the CDL season? Yeah, so uh, you kind of touched on it there, just looking at the stats from... Uh, that matchup, Paul X was technically the only player on London who went negative in the series. He went 48 and 49 overall. So, you know, he, he's right there at a 0.98, almost a 1.0. But, yeah, I mean, outside of Vivid, Vivid played exceptionally well in the series, winning 71 and 52 
overall, uh, which was good for a 1.37 KD, but everybody else on LAG, the next highest was a 0.84, and everyone else was below that. So uh, I don't, you know, LAG might be one of those teams where coming into the season, people had their doubts about the reformation of, you know, three-fourths of that EG champs team without aches, and, you know, they come into stage one and like you said go two and three but they get that spot in the winner's bracket from tiebreaker with paris i believe and uh they pull out the upset against the thieves which allows them to get a top six finish so i don't know in in my eyes they weren't really a top six team Mm -hmm. based on that performance like if we were doing power rankings i wouldn't have them in top six even though they finished top six in the major but some people might have considered them a little bit better and i know i expected them to beat this london team just because they had just implemented uh, Paul X, and it's not like, you know, Zed had just come in for the major before that, so they didn't have much practice with two of the four players on the team. Uh, so I was expecting LAG to take this one, but London flipped the script and just swept them. So it's a good sign if you're a London fan. Uh, obviously, it might not be one of the toughest opponents in their group, so it'll be interesting to see how London performs against some of these other teams. But uh, yeah, I was a little surprised by that one. If anything, it might help them in major seating. Um, maybe they don't have to start at the very uh, at the very beginning. Maybe they'll get like a one round buy in the losers bracket or something uh, to help them out. Even if they don't um, end up winning uh, many more matches in their group, it could just be a little bit better um, in the major. Um, and then uh, second match of the day, we had Atlanta Phase stomping uh, the Toronto Ultra. Um, I mean, Atlanta is just the best team in the league at this point. Um, it's been proven over and over again. And uh, I believe this was their 11th win of the season. Maybe 10. Yeah, um, I think it's 10. 10 and 0. 5 and 0 in stage 1, 3 and 0 in the major. So, yeah, 10. And I think they tweeted out that it's the, the largest uh, match win streak in CDL history now. Um, I, I don't know who held the record, probably like Empire or something, uh, or, or maybe FaZe, it could be. Okay, yeah, not sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, so they, they sweep Ultra, and, uh, w- what do you think of, of this match? I think, again, you know, it was just another case of FaZe asserting dominance and showing why they're just miles ahead of everybody and they're the best team in the game right now. Uh, we can run through the stats right now and, uh, just, sh- uh, I, I should have said it earlier, but uh, I'm using the stats provided by Breaking Point, so shout out to them uh, for tweeting out stats like this. It's awesome to see. Uh, but, you know, we had Simp, you know, just going nuts in the series with 1.76. Selium had a 1.34. RCs with a 1.33. And Abizi with a 1.19. So everybody has a ridiculously positive KD ratio in the series, whereas... We go to Toronto, and Cammy's leading the way with a .91, and Insight, Bance, and Kleenex are all around that .6 region. So uh, definitely was a hard series for them. Obviously, you know, they did just make the change with Insight, so I'm not sure how much people expected them going up against the reigning champs or expected from them going up against FaZe. But uh, it was a tough match for Toronto fans, and... uh, you know, we got to see them play the Thieves and FaZe now, which are arguably two of the tougher teams in their pool. So uh, moving forward, it'll be 
interesting to see how they perform against some of the other teams in their group who aren't considered at that top tier, maybe. To conclude the week, we had the Los Angeles Thieves versus the New York Subliners. Uh, the Subliners won 3-2 in this series. Uh, Bink picked New York. I picked LAT. I did not think that LAT were on the verge of collapse when I picked them, but um, <laughs> but it turns out they were. They were actually reverse swept in this series uh, by New York. Um, I don't know. Like, it's... It's an interesting result. Uh, it obviously uh, is immediately uh, succeeded by Temp being benched uh, for Venom, uh, formerly of Wester. Uh, what do you think of uh, LA getting reverse swept and then changing their roster? Uh, so admittedly, I believe I picked New York for... Uh... Just, just to be different from you, at least on the podcast. But then I looked at my pick for Mike, which I think I submitted beforehand, and I picked New York in that before knowing who you picked. So I don't really remember what I was thinking at the time, but it, it feels good to get that one right. <laughs> uh, but regardless, it was definitely a super close series. Uh, like you said, it ended up being a reverse sweep after LA takes Checkmate Hardpoint 250-216. They take Moscow Search 6-4, which Moscow Search has been... Uh, one of the Thieves' better maps this year, especially, you know, TJ had that pop-off out or a pop performance earlier in the year. I think it was against the Surge, right, where he went, like, 12-0? and Yeah, it was, I think. Something like that, yeah. But then New York just clutches up. They take the 3-2 win on raid control, uh, despite Clay falling off the map. And uh, they win Moscow, hardpoint 250-211, and checkmate search 6-3. Uh, looking at the stats again, most notably Clayster and Attach, or sorry, Clayster and Slate. Wow, I can't talk it. <laughs> Clayster and Slasher both dropped over 100 kills. Clayster had 108 and Slasher had 102. Uh, Clayster dropped a 1.24 KD, where Slasher was at a 1.21. But the difference is, uh, at least just looking at the numbers, uh, next highest KD for New York was Diamond Con at a 1.15, whereas the next highest KD for the Thieves was Kenny at just a 1.0. So, uh, interesting from a numbers perspective, but uh, it was definitely an exciting series to watch regardless. And I think, you know, like you said, uh, a series against Toronto for the Thieves earlier in the week was closer than they might have expected. And uh, this series, they ended up getting a first sweep, so that might have been the final nail in the coffin and led to them... Uh, making the switch to bring in Venom, who has been one of the shining stars and challengers, most notably this year, with that Westar team winning uh, four of the first cups back-to-back-to-back-to-back in uh, NA Amateurs. And I believe he, or I I know he's one of uh, of their sub players, so I believe that means Kenny's going to be moving back to the flex, so it'll be Venom and TJ on the sub, Kenny on the flex, and Slasher on main AR. Uh, I don't think they've confirmed that, but that's you know most likely what I'm expecting. Uh, and yeah, it seems like the uh, switch from moving Kenny to a sub didn't work out, although it was only for a week. And uh, all eyes will be on Venom to see what kind of you know effect he has on this team. Yeah, um, this is I believe the third Challengers player. I don't know if you would uh, count Zed in this, but uh, Paul X. Venom, Insight, and now Standy, so that's four, and five if you count Zed, uh, who have been inserted into a CDL starting lineup uh, after the beginning of the season. And I think that's interesting. You know, half of the teams have made a, made a change. 
and they brought up a challengers player instead of trying to say trade for a player or just signing an older pro um, that you know maybe they know they're reliable or something they're going out and getting talent that hasn't been in the CDL before yeah and you know you we got Diamond Con and Neptune they mm-hmm. were com- they obviously started the season but they were competing in challengers uh, before getting picked up just because challengers started before the CDL officially did but um it's exciting to see such an influx of young talent, you know, with the no expansion for this year and the reduction from 5v5 to 4v4. Uh, we lost a lot of spots for pro players, so there's a lot of players yeah. in the amateur scene, you know, veterans included, who just aren't in the pro league right now. And some of these amateurs are still getting a shot, which is super interesting to see. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see what Venom brings to the table. I admittedly I've, I've watched some of the grand finals that Wester was in but I haven't watched a lot of them and I just know he's been a super hyped up submachine gun player so um, definitely will have my eyes on him this week when the Thieves play. Yeah I, I think you could also count Parasite because he went through the entire last season sure. and uh, obviously uh, like he and Zed and even Paul X they're brought in on uh, weird circumstances because unfortunate uh, visa issues or whatever Uh, but you know it's great to see challengers players getting this opportunity especially with like you said the limited number of spots Um, there's only 48 starters now in the league last year there were 60 so you know that's just cutting uh, 12 players out of uh, out of starting spots immediately Um, so hopefully we see more uh, more challengers players get spots uh, as we continue on in the season um, and, and let's go over to Stage 2, Week 2 matches. Uh, we have 10 matches again this week. We have two on Thursday, two on Friday, three on Saturday, three on Sunday. Um, the first uh, day is Thursday, March 25th. Um, and we have Dallas versus Paris and Optic versus Minnesota. Uh, who do you have in these matches, Bink? All right, I think you got to go Dallas and Optic. Um, we're kind of touching on it earlier when we were talking about Standy finally being brought in uh he's got to go up against optic and dallas this week which is obviously uh the top two teams in his pool minnesota's already zero and two so uh it's gonna be tough he's got to make his debut against some of the best players in call of duty and uh it'll definitely be a good test of his talent but i think uh optic will most likely take that one i'm gonna say 3-0 maybe minnesota takes the search because they've been good at search, but obviously we're not sure how good their search will, if their search will continue to be as good with standing in place of Major Maniac, but I'm going to say Optic 3-0 and Dallas 3-1 for the Paris match. Um, Obviously, some people might be not have as much confidence, I'll say, in Dallas after going map 5 or map 5 round 11 against Seattle. Uh, but I still think they get the job done. Whatever happened last week, they you know they may be looking at it as just a league play or not league play, uh, a group play match, and maybe they weren't going 100%. That's just speculation. But, uh, yeah, I think they'll get the job done against Paris, probably take it 3-1. Yeah, I'll agree with you, Dallas and Optic. These are um, – Dallas finished second in Stage 1, Optic finished fourth, and Optic uh, even um, underperformed. They, they are – better than fourth in my opinion and minnesota even though i think standy is good i trust uh saint uh saint's judgment um and the player's judgment 
I don't think that they're going to be able to pull off the upset here. Um, and I think Paris uh, is really good. I think they're a top six team, to be honest. But they have a they have a, a tough matchup here against Dallas. And if Dallas came out like they did against Seattle, Paris should win. Uh, I just don't see that happening, uh, especially with how Dallas played against Seattle. They're probably um, going to be a little more motivated to come out strong especially the first match of the week. Um, Friday, March 26th, we have LA Thieves uh, with Venom debuting, uh, presumably. Uh, I think it's actually confirmed. So I know That's confirmed, enough. yeah. yeah. Uh, against London, um, both of these teams went 1-1 one one in uh, week one. Uh, who do you got, LA Thieves versus the Royal Ravens? London went 1-0, just for the record. Oh, they only okay. played that one match against the Gorillas. Uh, but I'm going to take the Thieves. Um, you know, we took the other LA team against London last week, and London ended up beating them, so we could be wrong here again. But I think the Thieves will get the job done. I'll say Thieves 3-1. Uh, yeah, it'll definitely be cool to see Venom playing up against his old teammate, though, in Paul X. Yeah, I, I think LA Thieves, too. Um, I mean, LAG probably should have won that match it had they just played good at all um so uh, i think uh london i don't take anything away from london well i just think london's ceiling is as far lower and i i don't think that la has to build everything up again and i don't think the thieves have to uh basically what i'm saying is i think la is naturally better than london they have more chemistry with the three of them and then adding venom in there even with some of the role swaps they've been doing, I think LA should win this. Uh, and the, and we have LAG in the next match against New York. Who do you got? Subliners versus Gorillas. I mean, I gotta say, New York 3-0 after, you know, if LAG can't take a map against the newly formed London squad, how are they going to do against New York, who's coming off that reverse sweep over the LA Thieves? Uh, I think it's hard to not go in New York in this one, so I'm going to say Subliners 3-0. Yep, agreed. I think subliners, um, I think they're just the better team, uh, point blank. I don't think that LAG can take respawns off of uh, New York uh, the way, say, Optic or Dallas or Atlanta can. Uh, so I'll go with subliners there. Uh, the subliners start off Saturday as well. They play London um, in the first match of Saturday. Uh, who do you got, subliners versus London? Mm, taking subliners again. Uh Obviously, we're predicting this ahead of the week, so if London comes out yeah. and somehow takes down the Thieves, this match might be closer than we're thinking ahead of time. But, you know, in my head right now, I just think New York's a far better team, and they end up taking this one. I'll say New York 3-1 just to give London a map. But, uh, yeah, I think it's hard to pick against New York here again. Yeah, it's always hard to, uh, to pick ahead of the week because I, I would have changed my pick. Um, subliners versus LAT last week um, after seeing LAT struggle in sure. that first match I think the subliners would have won uh, we just don't have that benefit uh, I'll, I'll go with New York um, over London um, there's no re real reason to talk about it we don't this is so hard about this is what's so hard about predictions is you know we don't get the benefit of seeing um, how some of these new teams are developing maybe London they look even better this week um, because they have another week of practice with Paul and Zed on the lineup uh, we just don't really know 
Uh, FaZe versus LAT, who do you got there? Got to go FaZe, uh, regardless of the roster change for LATs. I don't think that's enough to get them to Atlanta's caliber, at least on limited practice. Uh, and it might not even be enough down the road. Who knows? But, you know, right now, definitely FaZe. Uh, I'll say FaZe 3-0. Um, kind of sounds like beating a dead horse at this point, but they're just the best team in the game, so I'm not going to pick against them until they give me a reason to. Yep. Uh, I, I'm going to go with FaZe 2. Uh, third match of the day is Toronto versus LAG. Um, I personally think LAG is going to win this. Um, I don't think that there's a... Uh, Toronto really hasn't given me a reason to think that they're anything like special, and I think LAG just had a really bad match against London. Uh, what do you think about Toronto LAG? Uh, I'm gonna go with Toronto. I'll say Toronto three two, which is kind of interesting because we think, uh, despite Insight dropping 18 kills against the Thieves, you probably would think LAG would be a better search team at least on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Toronto's limited practice with Insight compared to Methods. So uh, it's definitely will be an interesting matchup. I'm going to go with Toronto. Um, I just think it's hard to pick Gorillas after what we saw. And, you know, like we said, who knows if they show up and play better against New York. Uh, they might look better in this matchup against Toronto. Uh, but right now, just based on what I've seen so far, I'm going to go with Toronto 3-2 for this one. Yeah, uh, Toronto's like, main issue is control right now, like on a consistent level. They're 2-8 and eight in control this season, uh, and obviously they lost both in uh, last week. So, I mean, when you can't win one series, I think they were, in Stage 1, they were the uh, second to worst, uh, but so were LAG. So both these teams flat out suck in control. So it's about who can win that, and uh, uh, neither of them are like particularly dominant in hard point. And uh, yeah, I think LAG is a, a better search team. Uh, so that's kind of the difference maker in this series for me. Uh, on Sunday, we have the Paris Legion versus the Seattle Surge, Dallas Empire versus Minnesota Rocker, and Optic Chicago versus the Florida Mutineers. Who do you got, Paris, Seattle? Uh, I'm going to go with Paris for the culture and the Paris' is winning <laughs> champs crew. Uh, but I think this could be a super close match. Uh, compared to some of mm-hmm. these other matches we have on paper where it's kind of like it seems like it's easy for us to both agree on uh, who we think are going to win a lot of the earlier matchups in this week. But uh, this one, if we get the Seattle that played well in week one, especially, you know, they take down Florida and they look good against Dallas despite losing round, game five, round 11. That Seattle shows up against the Paris, who uh, played well against Minnesota, and you know they they lost to Optic. But regardless, uh, most people would probably think Paris is a higher ranked team right now. So, uh, not I guess not really going with an underdog by picking Paris, but uh, I think they'll end up taking this one. But if we see that Seattle squad that we saw last week, it could be a lot closer than some people might expect. So I'm excited to see this match actually. Yeah, I. Th- I think Paris will win, but uh, what's interesting is Paris went two and zero in search in week one. They were two and seven in search in stage wow. one, and uh, Seattle was uh, was even. Um, and Seattle actually had a really bad control game. They were winless in control in stage <laughs> one, and then they won, I believe, both of their controls. Uh, I know. Th- I'm, uh-uh. Did they beat Dallas in control? 
They beat Dallas. The, the only map that Florida won against Seattle was the control. Okay. So, so Seattle won both hard points in the search in that one. So the fact but that the, they so just they got their beat, first yes. control when Dallas. The fact that they beat Dallas in control um, is interesting. Uh, Dallas was one of the best control teams. They won 67% of their controls in stage one. So the fact that they did that, um, it shows like improvement, at least in my mind. Uh, Paris, the fact that they won searches in stage two that they didn't win in stage one, I think that could be the difference. Uh, although Seattle was, you know, a round away from winning both searches against Dallas. Uh, this is probably one of the closer series uh, I hope Definitely. that we see. Um, at least on paper, uh, these teams yep. match up really well against each other. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, who comes out on top. Um, second match of Sunday, we have Dallas versus Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota is obviously debuting with Standy, uh, while Dallas is trying to um, make sure that they don't get beat, um, uh, almost get beat like they did with Seattle. Uh, so what do you think, Empire versus Rocker? I think Empire gets this one. I'm going to say Empire gets their revenge. You know, Minnesota yep. beat them in stage one group play, upset them. Uh, I don't really think they're going into this as a grudge match in any sense of the word, but uh, I think Dallas will get the job done here this time. Um, again, we don't know how Minnesota search is going to look. Uh, with Standy in place of Major Maniac, and that was the main catalyst for how they took down Dallas in that stage one group play match because they won both searches and the control, whereas Dallas won both hard points. So uh, I think, you know, we'll obviously have to see how Standy performs. I don't think, you know, obviously we saw in week one, even with Insight's amazing performance, the Thieves still took him down in his debut. So I think uh, even if Standy pops off in this one, it might be hard for Minnesota to win. Uh, so I'm just going to say Dallas takes us 3-0. Yeah, I think uh, with the, it's such a quick turnaround for Minnesota mm -hmm. to to do this, and Dallas is not the right team to have a quick turnaround against, uh, especially since Dallas can look at however they perform against Paris on Thursday, and then they have a few days to kind of analyze that performance and put it into action for Minnesota. So. And they'll get to see how Minnesota plays against Chicago. Yeah, so it, it's it's very interesting. Um, uh, but, you know, I don't think that Minnesota is going to be able to repeat uh, their upset from Stage 1. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the final match of uh, Stage 2, Week 2, Optic Chicago versus Florida. Optic obviously went 1-0 and in the first week, and Florida went 1-1. and um, What do you think about Optic versus Florida? Got to go Optic here. Mm -hmm. uh, you know how much I hate doing the same picks as you yeah, it seems I mean, like we're agreeing a lot this week but i think it's for a good reason it just seems like a lot of these matchups there's a clear favorite going in and this is one example where you know especially florida dropping that series uh last week to seattle they sure they were able to bounce back against minnesota who were clearly struggling so florida's one and one but uh optic will in my opinion most likely take this one i'll say uh I don't want to keep saying 3-0s, but I'm just going to say Optic 3-0. I'm not sure what map Florida would be able to take. Maybe they take the search and Optic wins 3-1. Uh, yeah, I'll go with 3-1, I guess. Yeah, Florida really just doesn't have a, uh, um, a game mode that they're really proficient at. Uh, Optic obviously does. Uh, search seems to be their weakest game mode, but 
it's not that they're weak at search it's just that it's the weakest of their uh three game modes they're um nine and one in control in this season they only lost to new york on uh i believe it was checkmate it would have been, it would have been in the major yeah checkmate control i think um when they lost uh to new york uh, and they're really good hard point team. So I don't really see a way for Florida to win this. It would take uh, incredible effort by both skies and awakening, in my opinion, to, uh, to upset optic. And I just don't see that happening. Yep. Um, are there any other topics that you want to talk about? Or if anybody has anything in the chat, uh, make sure to, to uh, leave it in there and we can answer questions or uh, talk about some topics or whatever. Yep, if anyone's got anything, throw it in the chat. Um, Trem's most recent comment, though, I believe he said it earlier when we were talking about Standy, but, you know, he says it's great seeing bench challengers being utilized this season. And uh, I kind of touched on it earlier, but uh, on Zuma's the episode of The Flank last night when I was listening, he had uh, Looney on there. I don't want to quote anybody because, you know, I wasn't paying super attention when I was watching basketball and you know, I was going in and out listening, but... Uh, one of the things they were talking about was these challengers, players, and I don't remember the, how the exact conversation was brought up. You know, Methods was on there, so he was kind of, you know, like trolling about being a top AM now. And, you know, it, it was a bunch of banter, really. But uh, I thought it was interesting. I, I want to say it was Looney, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, they brought it up in the sense of uh, some of these orgs don't have to sign an amateur player to a bench spot with the 14-day contracts now because like from a business perspective why would you sign you know x amateur player give them fifty thousand dollar minimum salary for however long you know after you're signing up for the season that's 50 grand right there uh when you can sign them to a 14-day contract and see how things work out you can you know obviously not sure how the math breaks down uh but you can likely sign multiple players if it comes down to that, the 14-day contracts as opposed to giving uh, just one sub that 50k minimum salary. So I thought it was just interesting. I don't want to, you know, misquote anybody or uh, say anything incorrect, but it was definitely something I thought that was interesting that uh, we might see moving forward. We've already seen London sign multiple players to uh, two-week contracts at least. Uh, uh, Parasite was signed to a two-week contract, I believe Zed was. And I don't think they released what they signed Paul X to, but obviously earlier in the season there was the report that they tried to sign him to a two-week contract, which he rejected and led to them signing Parasite. So uh, it seems like London's going with that approach, at least without knowing if Paul X is signed to only two weeks or for the remainder of the season. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, but I thought it was an interesting point. Well, I'm just, I just looked up the Call of Duty League rulebook just to see whether they can like stack these 14-day uh, contracts and just kind of almost like abuse the system. Um, and, and what I'm reading is uh, you can't sign a player to more than two 14-day contracts during the 2021 season. If a player has signed two 14-day contracts with a single team, that team may only sign the player to a full-season player contract for the remainder of the season. Uh, so it's it's interesting. Um, uh, the NBA has something similar. I think it's a 10-day yeah. contract, and they can only do two. And if at the end of the second one, if you've decided not to sign them for the full season, they're a free free agent, and they can go anywhere and sign contracts. 
Um, I think it's good. I, I don't think I think it gives players more opportunities because these teams probably wouldn't take the risk to sign, uh, say, Standy or Venom to a full season contract if they're not entirely sure that they're going to make a huge difference in their lineup. Um, last season, we well, saw guys well, that shouldn't have, that probably shouldn't have been in the league, or you know, sh- like guys that probably should have gotten spots, they didn't get spots, maybe because of the way that the season was or the contracts were set up. Yeah, we're not sure either what um, Standy or Venom. Yeah, I was just saying, signed. for um, example, we all, I only know because we got the press releases for London that specifically said. I know 100% it said that Parasite was signed to a 14-day contract, and I believe it said Zed was. I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure. And I know the Paul X release didn't say what he was signed to yeah. uh, when he actually joined. And I, but, there was uh, a rumor saying, that he denied, uh, he rejected yeah, that's the 14 days. Yep, that was before they signed Parasite. Um, but again, I'm not saying teams are abusing the system no, no, no. or anything like that. And, you know... It, it, I hope that if these players, you know, like let's say Paul X does did sign a uh, 14-day contract for this then and London performs well in Stage 2, they sign him to another uh, 14-day contract because they're still having these issues with Zero and Afro, uh, and they continue to play well, then they have to give him a contract for the rest of the season if they want to keep him. So uh, that's definitely good to see that's in the rules compared to, you know, teams just repeatedly being able to sign 14-day contracts. Um, but yeah, I just think it's it was an interesting point from the, uh, the business perspective, you know, with COVID going on and uh, some of these businesses might be looking to save money. So just from a business perspective, um, it's an interesting way to still give amateurs a chance to make their pro debuts. Yeah, I think... Um, I, I think... It's it's there's good and bad from the roster uh, construction perspective because last season uh, every team was required to at least have seven players on their roster. Uh, whether those substitutes were their coaches or whatever, um, it, I don't think it mattered. But you at least had to have seven, uh, and obviously there were five starters. Uh, but this year, I believe that you only have to have five uh, minimum on your roster. I think so. so like obviously with there being fewer substitutes you're going to have fewer players in the league and obviously the league is shrunk anyway because of um going to 44 uh but these 14 day contracts I don't know if they equalize it uh but they do help out that these challengers are able to get an opportunity maybe that Definitely. they wouldn't get the opportunity uh had they a $50,000 price tag been attached to it um yeah I I also want to talk about uh, coaches real quick I saw someone on Twitter say that like it, it's not fair or something along the lines that coaches count as substitutes uh, I want to know what your thoughts are on that because I know a, a few teams uh, quite a few teams actually they consider their substitute player to be uh, their coach yeah so I, I think that was part of the conversation they were having on Zuma's show too because they were talking about how like uh, I'm pretty sure Methods was saying something like, if I'm on Seattle, I'm chilling because Nubsy's technically the substitute. So, uh, and, and that's when the conversation came up where it was like, it, it's the, it could be a cost cutting or, you know, the organization's trying to save money uh, 
by not having to have a sub when you're already paying your coach whatever you're paying him if he can be the substitute player and you don't think that you actually need a sub uh the team's able to save money and then that's where the 14-day contracts come in and you're able to try out some of these players whereas if you know like let's say uh i'll just use general as an example because i don't think optics gonna end up needing a sub uh if optic has general so i don't think money is really a problem in that sense for optic but regardless uh just for the sake of the example if, if optic has general signed to a sub spot which i believe he actually still is their sub he is yeah so regardless you know with general as their sub they're, they're paying him fifty thousand dollars and he might not play a game this entire year obviously last year he was a sub and there was that brief time where uh before they when they were moving on from gunless and they didn't have pristini yet there was a brief time where he was in the lineup for scrims and stuff but uh you know aside from that he he's really just effectively in that sub spot with no real opportunity to play outside of some kind of freak emergency or something like that mm-hmm. whereas a team like seattle where they're reportedly have nubsy as their sub they're only paying for uh the four starters and then nubsy's coaching salary whereas i guess i didn't say you know optic has sender as their coach yeah. so they're paying sender's coach's salary the four starters which already is you know when you have superstars like scump and formal you're paying them a pretty penny no doubt and uh then they have general taking up that sub spot where he might not play so uh it's definitely something interesting to look at i'm not really sure how i feel about uh the teams having the coach be in there i think you know maybe down the road in a year where you know businesses aren't trying to save money necessarily i think you know some of these franchises might always be in that state but especially with covid going on i think it's okay to be a little more lenient i'm not sure if that if covid played a factor in allowing coaches to be subs or anything like that but i think for now it's fine but uh obviously i would really eventually like to get to the point where we see the cdl franchises have these you know specific bench players and then you know eventually some type of maybe all the teams having to have an academy team so it's kind of like a minor league system like you have in baseball or the g league and the nba mm-hmm yeah, I think uh, so. I'm looking at uh, COD Gamepedia's rosters, and um, so these are the teams that have actual substitutes according to this. <coughs> which I'm not sure if like uh, it's entirely accurate or or what, um, because they're some of these are considered coaches, and they could also be substitutes. Um, I'm not really sure, uh, but Phase has Sibilance, uh, no. Fellow has da- uh, or Dallas has Fellow. <laughs> Um, which they also last season they had Tommy as their substitute, but he never. Um, and Tish. Oh yeah, they also had Tish as well. Yeah, um, Florida has Havoc who started last season. Uh, London has quite a few players. They have Alex who uh, is like away for personal reasons. Zero who is not able to get to America. And Afro I think is also having similar issues. Yep. Um, but they're all substitutes for London. Uh, for LAG they have Mental and Chino who are on their academy team. Because they think, have a full academy team too. I think they're the Euro only team XC, to do that yeah. this season. So, yeah, so they have a, a full academy team, but those are the only two listed as substitutes on their roster. LA Thieves, obviously, they have Temp now, um, and they also have Draza, who played on the old Optic roster last season. 
uh, Minnesota now has Major Maniac, and it also says that uh, Brian Saint is yep. uh, considered a substitute for their team. Um, New York has the French phenom Hydra, who just uh, got to America and is playing. They have for, their academy team yeah. too. So those are the only two. Uh, he plays for NYSL Academy. Um, obviously, like you said, General is on Optic. Uh, Paris, they consider Theory, who is their coach, to be their sub. Seattle has Nubsy, who is also their coach. And then Toronto has Methods, who they benched a few weeks ago. So, With Insight being the previous sub? Yeah, so one, two, three. I think that's it. I think three teams have coaches as their Seattle, sub. Paris, and... Minnesota. Minnesota um, were, yeah. I think that's Now it. they have Major Maniac. Yeah. So... I mean, at least it's not all, all of these teams aren't just carrying their coaches on as subs so they can, like, you know, save money or something. Um, but it, it's, an inter- it's an interesting topic. Jesus, that sentence was hard. Uh, uh, Josh said, uh, with pandemic, yeah. it's tough. Plus, having a coach who's a recent former player to sub in is also nice to have. Only in favor of requiring challengers teams if league is covering costs for that program or if the pri- prize pools are near tripled. Otherwise, value just isn't there. IMO, PSOG is also faded. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, because you oh. said the first part was <laughs> Josh, yeah. but it was Trevor. Uh, but regardless, I I agree with uh, Josh in the sense that um, I don't think that's something immediate in any sense. Um, yeah, it's not I like think, a big issue. No, I think within like maybe five years. Uh, we get to a point where teams are required to actually have a player be a sub. I, I don't think that's like something crazy to expect. No. And then you know, if the CDL continues to grow in 10, 15 years, maybe we get to the point where the league is big enough where we have multiple franchises and who knows with expanding how that would be. But uh, we have multiple franchises with academy teams and then maybe even more distant in the future is where we get to that point where teams are actually required to have uh, these challengers teams. It's definitely an interesting topic, no matter what, how you look at it. But, um, you know, especially as some of these older veterans of COD, you know, get up there in years and uh, are maybe looking to retire, I think some of these franchises might put a focus on trying to develop uh, academy teams or have those, you know, younger players signed uh, earlier. Some teams might go down that route earlier than others, but um, it'll definitely be interesting uh, to see how that develops for as long as the CDL's around. One thing I'm interested in is uh, I always think about Clayster retiring because he's one of the best players of all time. I think he's the oldest pro now that Tommy's retired. Um, and I think every time, every year someone brings up retirement in his uh, when he's playing. I, I just think about how these older players, they would probably be good scouts if, if scouting was like a, a real thing like it is in traditional sports where you have an entire department dedicated to finding you players and evaluating players that would fit in your system and i think it you know cod obviously has to grow esports as a whole has to grow um and become much more profitable for uh, the majority of these organizations to really even do this but we've all we've already seen um an uh, analysis and uh like league teams have 
usually at least one analyst on top of a coach, um, and there's usually more analysts as well. I think COD could have that. COD is obviously not as complex in strategies, um, like on a game-to-game basis as League of Legends, but for search and uh, in terms of scouting, it's really important to find players that fit in your system and that are are coachable and they're able to play. Um, You know, I think Bevels would be a good uh, choice for something like that because he showed with EG how, you know, strategies and... Um, like a cohesive and solid uh, foundation can lead you to a championship even when you have perceived like inferior talent. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that, you know, even as far as just a couple years ago, you know, World War II, Black Ops 3, a lot of teams didn't even have coaches. No. And now we're at this point where every team at least has a head coach. And like you said, some teams have that uh, S&D coach or they have the analyst. Uh, so it's developing. It's, it, it'll get there as long as the CDL continues to grow and sticks around. We'll get to this point, I think, that where we have multiple coaches and we have the dedicated subs, that transition into dedicated academy teams and maybe, you know, a minor league system sort of thing. Uh, but kind of touching on what you were saying before that, too, with, uh, you know, Clayster retiring and some of the old guard. Uh, obviously, I think Clayster is going to stick around as long as he can. Yeah, he's you super know, talented. As, yeah, even as he gets older. I, I mean, he people can make the argument that he was carried by some of these younger stars, whatever. I, he's one of the best players in the world, so I, I don't agree with that at all. But I think he's going to play as long as he can. But even if it gets to a point where he retires, uh, I don't know if I see Clayster becoming a coach. We obviously saw J-Cap uh, make that transition going into this year. Uh, I think maybe Clayster could go down that GM route. Uh, that would be something interesting. And I also think, you know, as much as I uh, am a fan of Aches as a player and would love to see him come back to competing in the pro league, uh, I think Aches is another example of a good uh, player who could become a GM if, uh, you know, we had these expansion teams come in whenever that happens, if it happens. Uh, Aches has always been able to spot out talent, so I think that would be a role that we could see him fulfill. But, yeah, it'll de- definitely... Uh, something we're gonna have to look at years down the road, but um, I circling back, I think uh, we got a good foundation here with uh, what we're seeing, especially this year with the scouting series and challengers. It's it's leading to opportunities in the pro league, and that's what you want to see. Yeah, I agree with you on the GM part. I'm not sure how much uh, responsibility, say Clay had, in terms of like. Uh, finding like a BZ uh, I mean like these players don't need to be found in a sense but uh, they need to be like given a chance and obviously simp was always going to be given that chance but there was no guarantee that a BZ was going to find his way to E United like right out of the gate and you know if he gives Hydra a chance uh, to shine on NYSL uh, this season it's just and obviously Diamond Con is on his team as well uh, he seems to have a knack for uh, playing with really talented young players, uh, Shotzi and Illy included last season. Uh, so it's interesting. Maybe uh, he can go like an Ogre 2 thing where, you know, you're retired, you're kind of chilling, and then you start building your roster. I think that's another, you know, topic we could talk about at length another time too where uh, Florida's made the right moves over these last two years, yeah. you know. 
signing multiple young players and it's worked out for them. And that's coming from, you know, like you said, Ogre too is a GM who he didn't even play COD competitively, really. I think he might have been a part of that, like Halo squad and Black Ops 2 that tried to play at Champs. Yeah. I don't even remember. But, you know, outside of that, he, he's one of the, the winningest console players or Halo players of all time. So, like, you know, the, these guys who see success in, you know, not even just COD in general, but shooters, they're they're able to pick up Palin. We we don't know necessarily how much of a role they played in, you know, saying like this year we'll just say Neptune, for example. Uh we don't know what how much he factored into actually signing him, but obviously as a GM he played some part in it. So yeah. Uh you gotta give him some credit in my opinion. So uh I think we could talk at length about that at another time, but it's definitely interesting. Um and yeah. Who becomes the next Nade Scump following the latter's retirement? I mean, there's. It would have to be an Optic player because that fan base is. But none of the other players, as far as I know, capitalize on the, on like the the brand name. You know. I mean, I think if you're saying, who becomes the next Nade Scump, just in that sense, you got to go Envoy because. Yeah, you know, he'll have the green wall support I, in that sense. I'm thinking of like a a player that kind of like transcends. Like he can, he can like kind of pop into like larger gaming culture. Like Scump and Nade are household names like in mm -hmm. esports as a whole. So I I don't know if there's anyone like I think Simp if he continues down this road of creating content because he's so talented and so successful. I think he could get there, but I don't think he has the same kind of personality that Scump and Nade do. And, I mean, Nade wasn't even, like, like statistically, he's not the best player. Scump is one of the best players of all time. So yeah. I, I, I think it has to be someone on Optic to take care or take uh, advantage of that name and that visibility. Um, but I don't think, you know, Dashy, Envoy, uh, and, I mean, Formal is obviously super funny, but... Uh, I mean, streaming-wise, I think Formal could be, like, the biggest streamer in COD, or in, like, e in COD Esports, outside of Skump, but I don't think he has the dedication to, you know, put out a bunch of videos every week. Yeah, I think, last thing, unless there's something else we want to wrap up on, just kind of circling back, uh, no, Tremor brought it up. You said Clay is obviously still good enough to compete as a top AR, but would you rather end on a high note winning back-to-back -back champs or retire, fade away over the years, never winning a chip again? I don't think, personally, Clay lets it get to that point. I think maybe, say, like, if this year and next year he somehow just, like, super struggles and the team isn't winning a lot, he might retire after that, but I don't think... Uh, he lets it get to that point. And I don't think he wants to retire. Like, let's say, you know, he wins the back-to-back -back Well, Obviously, he won the back-to-back -back champs. But, uh, and he gets dropped off Dallas in the offseason. And let's say he just retired after that. I don't think that was an option for him. He wants to, you know, he yeah. wanted to come out and play Dallas in particular again and show them they made the wrong choice in that sense. But I definitely think that's something interesting. Uh, what do you think you would do? If you were in the situation, you're, you know, pro PSOG back to back. Chance well, we're, we're almost there. So and you're, you're 30 years old. We'll just say you're 30 years old. I mean, uh, do you, do you hang it up after back to back or are you cashing that paycheck and playing even if you continue to struggle for a couple of years? 
So if you're say Clay, or say I'm 30 and I'm performing at a pretty good level and we win champs, I'm going to continue playing because I don't know when the wheels are going to fall off. What if they don't fall off until I'm 35? I cashed checks for five years. I had some success for five years. I, I think it's really hard because in traditional sports, I mean, every, after Peyton Manning won his second Super Bowl, everybody's like, Jesus, dude, retire. You suck. But like if Tom Brady <laughs> decided to retire after this season where he had a really good season, they win the Super Bowl, like why should he retire? Because he could yeah. he looks like he could play for another five, ten years. So why not just try to do it and see if, you know, there's success down the road. It's it's it'd be really difficult, especially if you're super competitive like Clayster is. Like Clayster yeah. is one of the most competitive players of all time. For him to be like, Yeah, I've I've won everything, I wanted to win, I'm done. Like, why would you do it? Yeah, and I, I think that that's a good point too, especially in Call of Duty where we get a different game each year. I know there's been talks about Scump retiring, and you know they did uh, a cool documentary style video earlier this year uh, where he kind of brought up the fact that it was like, you know, if I like the game and I'm playing well, like I'm, I'm gonna keep competing because he's a competitor. So uh, the game could actually play something like, let's say we get another you know jetpack cycle of just AW. You know, AW2 and a bunch of stuff where the game you're, you're you're not vibing with the game that could play a factor in your decision compared to like some of these other sports like League of Legends or esports, uh, where you know you got League of Legends, Counter Strike, Dota. Those games are consistent. Know, you're at least playing the same game every year. It's not a completely new game that you got to relearn over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, in COD we saw Karma. He literally said like, "I hate this game. Like, I don't have fun." <laughs> playing this game anymore it's become like tedious to me and we see in esports guys get burnt out it's not that uh, like a, a lot of cod players don't get burnt out uh like to that extent it's more about just being sick of the game sick of this specific game because you always see those old players that like maybe once were at the top or near the top and they continue to play and say challengers and every year they come back at the beginning of the season or um, and they just kind of try it out. They're like, maybe this will be the game where like I find it again, like I get my motivation back. Um, Kaj is really weird like that. Yeah, CISO did the retired karma. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's it's an interest, interesting topic. I think uh, a lot of these are interesting topics. I, I wish we could have like just an episode of maybe like in the off season or something, we'll have just a viewer's questions or something and we'll just ramble about non-stop crap for yeah i was gonna say we, uh, we went on a tangent there but uh appreciate you guys in the chat uh yeah giving us more to talk about uh wasn't prepared for that but had fun <laughs> yep uh so that's gonna do it i have to really go pee and uh it's already <laughs> nearly one o'clock on the eastern uh the, the real time not fake time like um like jim and and then uh are on uh, so make sure to subscribe on uh, YouTube, Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, whatever you do. Uh, make sure to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts as well. Uh, this episode will be out on uh, Wednesday. It'll be out like in six or seven hours. So um, that's it for me, guys. Yep. Thanks for tuning in, guys. And always remember, send the chow.